Hello, this is Dr. Gwen, March 16th, 2012, a gloomy Friday afternoon in Santa Barbara. We're praying for rain. I haven't had hardly any, so we would need it. I really wanted to talk about the big item that was released this week about uh, in the United States, new pap smear guidelines. This one totally threw me a curve. I was very surprised. Um, and you kind of wonder if it's right. Um, but it's they're essentially advising less frequency on pap smears. And leading medical groups have recommended that new guidelines for cervical cancer screening advised against annual pap smears in favor of screening every three to five years for most women ages 21 to 65. That's really a, quite a surprise because the standard has been every year. The recommendations were issued by the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, which is a government advisory group, and by the American Cancer Society in conjunction with two other medical societies were identical. Pap smears should begin at age 21 and should not be performed more often than every three years in healthy women. And listen to this one. They should not be given to women over age 65. Now keep in mind, in the United States, this has major ramifications for funding and reimbursement um, for pap smears. Uh, women who have received the HPV, the human papillovirus uh, vaccine, still need to get pap smears every three years under these recommendations since the immunization does not protect against all strains of the human papillomavirus that can cause cervical cancer. Screening every three years is equally effective at finding cancers as annual screening, but it may be safer since it results in fewer false positive tests and fewer unnecessary treatments that could be harmful. And I thought about that one. I actually have had a couple of false positive tests and ended up having a colposcopy. And, you know, you do kind of wonder, um, yeah, it's, I don't know, I, the, I think the verdict is out because I think we also will miss a lot of uh, cervical cancers. HPV testing, which can be performed along with a pap smear, is now an option for women ages 30 to 65, according to both set of guidelines. And women who have this combination can extend their time between screening to every five years. More frequent and continued screening, however, should be given to women of all ages who have had a recent abnormal pap smear or who have been previously diagnosed with cervical cancer or precancer. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm very cautious about this. I, I need to know more about it, learn more about it. It always concerns me when they make such major changes from every year to every three to five years, and I'd like to know if this is a result of the HPV uh, vaccine. Um, just, I would want to. I would recommend you talk to your physicians about it. So I really wanted to get that out of the table, and you can, um, you know, make sure you talk to your physicians. Go to the American Cancer Society website, um, etc. The next one I was a little bit. It was kind of interesting, and it's called a simpler way to show to slow the obesity crisis. And the anti-obesity messages are becoming mind-numbingly familiar. Smaller portions, less fried food, fewer sodas. It's all true, but it has become more background noise. Yes, fast food companies have spectacular ad budgets 
Think about um, like Pizza Hut when they had the uh, cheese wrapped into the crust. Um, and you know, so why? How do you sell? You know, how do you sell you know, healthy eating? A study appearing this week in the Archives of Internal Medicine suggests a new idea. Maybe we should stop asking people to change or even limit their diets. Let's admit that no one really wants edamame more than Pizza Hut, and that when the Pizza Hut guy gets to the door, no one wants to see him carrying anything smaller than a dinner box. Instead, let's just start with a simpler suggestion. Just don't eat more than you do now. This strategy does not solve the obesity problem, but it could help us to get, keep from getting any bigger. For two years, a, uh, a professor at Duke University's Psychology and Neuroscience Department and his colleagues, they followed 365 obese patients who had already developed hypertension. The researchers chose not only a physically unhealthy population, but one that was also struggling socioeconomically. Bennett says, and that he was the researcher, he says no participant in the study was earning more than $25,000 a year. And the Duke team wanted to work with the poor because those with money can already afford to pick halibut and asparagus over hamburger and fries. I kind of argue that point. Right? You know, even in meals like McDonald's uh, are, can be just as expensive as a local restaurant. But I think it's just all the mass advertising that we have that that is, you know, our fast food nation. He, they argued that for the poor, getting fresh fish and vegetables can mean a long bus ride and a week's pay, which is arguably true because we have our primary access. Is if, if, in my travels across the nation, on our highways, it's all the horribly ridiculous fast food. But the 365 patients were recruited from community health centers and then randomly divided into two groups. The first group received whatever usual weight loss care was provided at the center, typically a combination of one-on-one -on -one advice and then some take-home material that might include steps to follow on how to exercise more and eat better. Those in the first group also had the opportunity to schedule future appointments to talk about weight loss. Most didn't. That's sad. Um, again, it's something that we just, just don't deal with. The participants in the other group got roughly the same amount of time with the counselor and similar advice on how to lose weight, but they were also given the opportunity to receive monthly counseling calls from educators trained in the principles of motivational interviewing, which is a, which is a method of cognitive therapy. And the participants in the second group were given the option of attending a monthly group session where they could share personal stories. But in order to keep the program inexpensive, the participants weren't given specific diets. They didn't have to follow calorie, calorie counts or avoid certain foods, although they were repeatedly asked during the phone calls and in the group meetings not to eat more than they already did. This approach has some advantages. Even a cash-poor community clinic can set up a monthly call and occasional group meeting. This approach also has some disadvantages, chiefly that few participants actually lost much weight. After two years, those in the intervention arm of the study had lost only an average of 2.2 pounds compared with those in the control group. The amount was not considered to be st statistically significant. But what's important is that most of the participants who got the automated calls and went to the meetings didn't gain weight, and they showed significant improvement in their blood pressure scores compared to those in the control group. 
People in that population tend to gain weight year after year, typically one to three pounds per year. And it's hard for anyone to lose weight, but we seem to, but they, you know, the, the investigators and the team seem to have found a strategy that could help people at least not to put on more weight. The blood pressure figures suggest that even if participants weren't choosing salad over fries, they were making choices on the margins that mattered. Fries without melted cheese, say, or a double whopper instead of a triple. Psychologically speaking, the participants were probably beginning to retrain their reward system to recognize when they were full, when eating another order of fries isn't having fun but flirting with diabetes. Plenty of research shows that the feeling of being full, um, and that's the, the medical term for that is satiety, is determined far more by how you think and feel than by how much is actually in your stomach. The new study is small and needs to be replicated, but it does suggest that public health messages about obesity might work better if they were more subtle. If the choice is between the dinner box and a spinach salad, there isn't much of a choice at all. It's depressing, but it's the best way to begin slowing the obesity crisis maybe to ask people to eat just 16 breadsticks, not 17. And that's all for today. This is Dr. Gwen. Stay healthy. Stay well, I know it means the same thing, but I just want to make sure all are doing well, and I thank you for listening. Take good care.